Grab your Bibles and turn with me and stand uh, as well. So go from kneeling to standing. And then after that, you get to sit the whole rest of the time. Fall asleep, whatever it is you're going to do. Okay. I don't think you'll be able to fall asleep when Jesus is speaking in Revelation 2 or 3. I don't think that will be possible. Revelation, I'm not going to read um, all, there's a letter to seven churches. I can't read all the verses. I just don't have the time this morning. So I'm going to read what is written to the first church and what is written to the fifth church. And next Sunday, because there's no way I could fit it all in today, I thought I could, but Lord, I know you're not going to. Uh, I will do the last two churches, which is Philadelphia and Laodicea, which is quite a contrast between those last two churches. Uh, we know, I hope you know which one of those two we want to be, um, but we'll look at those two next week. So we won't be able to read every verse this morning. You'll have to go back and read all of chapter 2 on your own. Um, I do want one thing, I don't say this too often, but by the way, uh, Congress is trying to pass a law called the Equality Act. Um, it's not a good bill no. in, in, in any way. I really do believe that many in our country, their long-term goal is to silence the Bible. And so I would ask you to call your, you know, normally I don't do this, but uh, at, call your local senators and congressmen and tell them you are vehemently opposed uh, because, you know, th there's nobody, you know, long before I was saved, um, there's, there's nobody that God doesn't love. Amen. We're going to treat everybody with love and dignity, uh, but enforcing, you know, um, uh, by the way, no mosque should be required to hire me. Amen. Does that make any sense? Right, right. <laughs> Nor should I be required to hire someone who is against Christ. Right? I, I don't agree with the, the religion of Islam, but I respect their right to have a mosque, and I, I, it would be loony for them to have to hire a Christian pastor. Doesn't make any sense. I mean, I could give you an example after. I'm just trying to give you something. So, uh, anyway, call and make your voice heard in that respect. Revelation chapter 2, of, of even greater importance, Jesus speaking here. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. But he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now we'll look at some of the other... Uh, passages related to the other churches in a, just a minute, but turn over to the third chapter, verse 1, and this is the, the last of the churches we'll look at. So let's look at Sardis here. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. 
Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you. These are the words of your Son, who right now at this very moment is seated at your right hand with earth being his footstool. And you're looking down and you see Calvary Chapel, Richmond, and you see the Baptist church down the street and the Presbyterian church and the Methodist church and other Calvary chapels and everything in between, and you know where every church stands. You know where every believer stands. You know where the non-believer stands. Lord, you know every single thing about every single thing related to your church and outside your church. And so, Lord, we pray that we would have ears that are hearing. You said, him who has an ear, let him hear. We pray that we not just have hearing ears, but hearing hearts, and soft hearts, and pliable hearts, and responsive hearts. And we ask this humbly in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You may be seated. If you're visiting, we're actually in the book of John. You say, well, this isn't the book of John. You're right. Although John did write this book, so we get, at least we have that connection. Um, We'll get back to the book of John in just a couple of weeks. Uh, I didn't want to break up John chapter 4. I'm excited about getting to John chapter 4. I love John chapter 4. You know, the Samaritan woman, great story, incredible story that teaches us that anyone you meet is redeemable, and God wants to do that work of redemption. But uh, for a while now, the Lord's put on my heart to cover the seven churches. Uh, I started preaching bivocationally. I had a full-time job in corporate America for five and a half years in 2007. Did that till two, middle of 2012, then went full-time. But in all these times, I've never preached on Revelation 2 and 3. The Lord reminded me yesterday, I totally blanked on this by the Lord, I got saved because of Revelation chapter 3. In a message at Calvary Chapel Fort Lauderdale on Revelation chapter 3, that's when we got saved. Me and my wife walked forward, gave our lives to Christ. So uh, it's a passage that God can use in a powerful way. But I've never taught on it. I've read it many times. I've studied it. I've studied the book of Revelation a lot over the years. And the Lord said, now is the time. I'm not sure why. It starts on the last day of February 2021. Other than we know that there's way more sand through the hourglass than when I got saved in 1995. Amen? There's more sand through the hourglass than when this service started this morning. We've never been closer than Jesus coming back for his bride. So... Anyway, the Lord just put on my heart to do it. I thought I'd do it last week. The Lord's like, no, it's not going to be last week because we had another uh, uh, delay, which was uh, some people in quarantine, so we kind of pushed it back one week. So part one today, part two next week. Uh, but we'll come back to, uh, by way of introduction, we'll come back to the strong, encouraging, and would you agree with me, sobering words of Jesus? Strong? Encouraging. Encouraging is if you know Jesus, you're, you're fine with him inspecting you. You need him to inspect you. But they are sobering words. We'll come back in a few minutes to how we're to receive them today. But by way of introduction, I'll start with two questions. Was the letter, was the letter to the seven churches in Asia, was it addressing 
seven literal churches. Was it addressing seven literal churches? Who thinks it was seven literal churches? Okay. And their spiritual state when John penned it. Or, or was Jesus revealing seven spiritual conditions that can be found within the church and the world today? The answer is yes. Those of you who've been here a while, you know. It was seven literal churches, but it also was seven spiritual states. So yes, both historically and scripturally, both are seen and both are visible. Uh, there are pastors, there are scholars, there are theologians that believe that they, this also represents seven distinct church ages. Anyone ever heard this? There's uh, people that... One of my good friends is Dr. Sam Nadler. Dr. Sam Nadler is very good friends with Dr. Arnold Frechtenbaum, who's a messianic believer, Russian Jew, that got saved. And Dr. Frechtenbaum, brilliant man, so is Dr. Nadler. And you guys will get a chance to have, we'll have Sam back here at some point. Sam does not subscribe to the uh, seven ages. Dr. Frechtenbaum does. Uh, Dr. Frechtenbaum would consider them probable. Sam would say, ah, uh, could be, but I don't see the re overall relevance. And then I fall into the very potential uh, camp. So uh, it's, not what, it's not something you have to be dogmatic about. We know, here's what we absolutely know, seven literal churches, seven spiritual states. Is it also seven church ages? Very possibly, but you can only see that in what? Hindsight. Only in hindsight can you see, oh, wow, that stage had a lot of persecution. That stage had a falling away. That's you know, you can actually see. So I'm just putting that up on, you can take a look at it. You can even look it up yourself. Uh, but uh, there certainly is the possibility of this also having relevance to seven church ages in the last 2,000 years. And again, only hindsight can show us this. But I'm not dogmatic about it. Um, the macro pattern is there. But here's what we absolutely know. All seven spiritual states still exist right now today in the world. All seven spiritual states exist now. Now also understand that the number seven is a major theme in the book of Revelation. You guys know that, right? Seven. How many churches? Seven. Lots of sevens. Uh, the number seven is used in Revelation more times than Matthew through Jude combined. Book of Revelation, number seven, used more times than Matthew through Jude. So the whole rest of the New Testament has the number seven less times in the book of Revelation. Seven illustrates what? It illustrates completion, fullness, and sanctification. Completion, fullness, and sanctification also speaks specifically to God's fullness and God's perfection. God rested on the seventh day. God is perfect, his completion. But there's also the fullness of the body of Christ, seven churches making up one body. You have a lot of different parts to your body, but you only have one body, right? So the seven churches make up one church, the seven fellowships, if you will, the seven families that are here making up the one. Just like Israel was 12 making up one nation. So he's spreading out uh, things within the body of Christ, the seven being one, and yet there's different issues with each of these different churches, overlapping ones as well. 
a brief um, high-level uh, review before we look at these seven individual churches. A um, little bit of an overview here for you. Only two of the seven, Smyrna and Philadelphia, received no rebuke from Jesus. Only Smyrna, only Philadelphia, no rebuke at all. Their total commendation would be, well done, good and faithful servants, as Jesus will later say at the end of the age. All seven churches, um, they're, they're all, they're, all the churches are told to be faithful, or I'm sorry, um, we'll get to that in a second. Five of the seven, let me take, pull this up, five of the seven are told to repent. Five of the seven, two, no rebuke, five of the seven are told to repent, and then all seven are told to overcome. Overcome what? The course of this world. Intimidation. Temptations. Apathy. Laziness. Greed. Satan's attacks and schemes. Have you experienced any of these in your life? <laughs> Trials and difficulties. False teaching. Self-deception. All of these you're to overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says to all seven churches these two words. All seven here, I know and I will. Reminding us that he alone knows the true spiritual condition of every church, of every fellowship, ours too, and his supreme authority. In his supreme authority he will chasten, he will reward, or he will judge based on his assessment and our response. This is equally true in our individual lives. Amen? Our individual lives, same thing. Which is at the heart of this title. Where are we at? Individually and as a church. Where are we at? Which of these churches looks most like your life of the seven? We only read two. You'll get a chance to see a flavor of the others as well. Which looks most like CCR? The Spirit and His love and in truth will show us. Say, Lord, show me where I'm at. Show me with a mirror of your word where I'm really at. Not where I think I'm at. Where I'm really at. Let's start with the, the first one we just read, Ephesus. Ephesus, the loveless church. Commended for its adherence to truth, their disdain and their rejection for false teaching. Their refusal to go back to the world. These are all commendations. Would you, would you agree? Yeah. These are all good things. Their maintaining of active ministry. They're hardworking. But Jesus says you've lost your first love. They had stopped loving Jesus. They had stopped loving one another. They had stopped loving the lost. In 1 Corinthians 13, it tells us, it warns us, Paul warns us, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, and though I have faith that I can move a mountain, if I have not love, I am nothing. God's called us to be filled with the love of God. Not just a lot of works. In the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of churches that were solid doctrinally but really lacked love. 
really lacked love, and they caused a lot of people to go off the rails. And even people, I would say a lot of people in the homosexual community today would say, yeah, you know, it was all this stuff in the 70s and 80s, and you know, the way that, you know, kind of, you're evil and this isn't. Would you agree? There's a lot of legalism. Yeah, you must, your dress has to come to your ankles and you can't listen to this music, and, you know, all of these different, there was a lot of rules. But there was a lot of sound teaching too, wasn't there? There was a lot of hard work. There was bus ministries. There was all these different things. But there was a lack. There was a lack of love. This is a church that's far from lazy. They put forth a lot of effort. Out of duty, oftentimes, rather than joy. Out of duty rather than joy. This is a church body. Uh, the church of Ephesus, they love sound teaching. They, they are note takers. They love sound teaching. They just don't love to be loving. They can also nitpick things. It's a church that could be ripe for division. Because where there's a lack of love becomes insulation, spiritual pride, even church splits over non-essential things. So that's Ephesus. Let's take a look at Smyrna. We didn't even read about Smyrna, but we will now. Take a look at your Bibles. We've got to be careful at the time. I just want you to get an, an idea because we'll come back at the end to what the heart of all this is. You're not, God's not calling you to be an expert in all these churches. He's calling you to understand what he's saying. Smyrna, pick it up with verse 8, chapter 2. And the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who is dead and came to life. I know your works. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, that you are rich, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. This is a church being directly attacked by Satan. He says the devil's about to do it. This isn't even a low-level demon that you have tested, and you will have tribulation ten days the days stand for years. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So we have the second church here, Smyrna, the suffering church. They're commended for their works for the Lord, and their stand for Christ in the face of persecution and trials and poverty. They're clinging to Christ in rejection of idolatry it made them hated by the world. Read Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says that you'll be hated by all men for my name's sake. They were living that passage. It's one thing for you and I to read Matthew 5. There's people actually living it, being hated right now. Yet with Jesus' encouragement, they became fearless and remained faithful. One of only the two churches that I mentioned, only two that gets no rebuke at all from Jesus. This was a church that was financially poor. They didn't have much. Their tithes and offerings were really low. Financially poor. Yet Jesus said they were rich. What do you think about that? How does that strike you? They were financially poor, and Jesus says that they were rich. Guess who's right? Any guesses? 
they had unseen spiritual power. They had treasures that were being laid up where? In heaven. They were told they would be greatly persecuted, and yet, with a clinging faith, they refused to deny Christ. I'm amazed. They went on to endure Diocletian, one of the worst of the emperors, right up there with Nero, 10 years of his reign of terror. What did Jesus say? It would be 10. 10 days, which meant 10 years. Exactly as Jesus said would happen. But those of you online and those of you here, can you imagine being told that you would suffer incredible persecution? And although I'm sure some in Smyrna were shaking with some trepidation, can you imagine being told that and not flinch? Yeah, your knees might knock, but they still went forward, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, all right, Lord, I'll walk into that fiery furnace. They didn't flinch. That kind of faith, it comes to you inch by inch, by the way. Inch by inch of abiding in Jesus. In which you receive a spiritual, uh, supernatural measure of God's grace for the moment. Some of you have heard of Corrie ten Boom. You know, she suffered in the Nazi concentration camps during World War II. Her family, you know, rail carted away, put in these camps. But before it ever happened, you know, they, were, they, they had the hiding place. They were actually uh, trying to their best to save the lives of Jewish neighbors. And, uh, but she worried as a child, you know, as a young, not a child, but a young girl, a young woman, uh, that she would not be able to stay faithful if persecution came. And she said, Daddy, uh, I'm afraid that I will never be strong enough to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. Tell me, her father responded, when you take up a train from Harlem to Amsterdam, when do I give you the money for the ticket? Three weeks before? No, Daddy, you give me the money for the ticket just before I get on the train. That is right, he replied, and so it is with God's strength. Simple faith. Um, say, God, I'll walk with you today, and then the next day, and the next day, he'll give you the strength for that next step, no matter how big the hurdle is. Believers, if we walk by faith, will eventually become confident, joyful, and fearless in faith. Do you believe that? Jesus says that you can have that. Justin Martyr, he said, you can kill us, but you can't hurt us. And that's because our soul can't be touched by the enemy. We're reserved. Um, the real, did you know that this life is just a foretaste of glory divine? Eternity is the real thing. This is the very, very temporary thing. This is about as temporary in, in the scheme of eternity. Um, you, ever, you, ever, you ever gone and you fly on an airplane somewhere and you have to take um, like either a tram or some kind of shuttle uh, or a little su subway like Atlanta they have an underneath, the, under, underneath there. Dulles, you get on this little bus thing that takes you from the plane to the terminal. That's your time on earth. It's the little short shuttle. That's it. Your life is but a vapor. And so Smyrna kind of real, they rec recognized that and said, they said this, is, this is really the short shuttle. We just have to have enough strength to get through 
But we can actually not just have the strength, we can have it with a joy and even a fearless condition. G.K. Chesterton said Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, I'm not there yet, absurdly happy, I'm not there yet, and in constant trouble, I'm kind of there. So, um, But I, I find it interesting Jesus did promise us these things, but I would say all of you can say with me, you're not completely fearless yet. And you're not absurdly happy all the time. But you may be in constant trouble. Now, it should be the kind of trouble that Satan is coming after you, not you getting into trouble. Smyrna was not getting into trouble. They were receiving trouble. Big difference. Smyrna would be the church in North Korea today. Talking about today's contemporary understanding. They would be Iran. Christians over a million. Many of them being persecuted in Iran. China that hates Christianity. The Communist Party there hates Christ. Pray for many of their leaders to come to Christ. Parts of Central and East Africa, very, very intense persecution, just to name a few. But how does anyone prepare for this? How do you prepare? How do you get to this right here? How do you get to being completely fearless, absurdly happy, in the midst of constant trials. How do you get there? Read John 15. It's called abiding in Jesus. Your branch stuck in there and you're getting his spiritual water to be fruitful in all seasons. Those trees out there, they got all the ice, they're going to do just fine this summer, won't they? Uh They were all covered with ice, looked like they were dead as a doornail. They will be causing you leaf raking in the fall again. You know, they're going to do their thing. We want to be like Smyrna. Next church is Pergamos, the compromising church. Verse 12, and the angel of the church of Pergamos write, these things says to he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Your Bible's a sharp two-edged sword, but Jesus is the two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. We, We literally believe, most scholars believe at that time, Satan set up the seat of his kingdom there in Pergamos. Where it is today, I can give you some guesses, but I would, be, I would just be guessing. Uh, but anyway, at that time, where Satan's throne is, and that you hold fast in my name, you did, not, you did not deny me or my faith even in the days of Antipas, which was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who have taught... Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel and to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent or else I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And you can read the rest, but he goes on again and say, he who has an ear, let him hear. So Pergamos, they're commended for their works and that they continued to proclaim Jesus and that they had endured some prior persecution and were quite faithful in the past. But guess what? They had begun to add false teaching to the scriptural teaching. Just a little bit of addition. Eh, We got through all that. 
we want to be popular with the community. So they just started to bring in some false teaching. They were resting on their past, and they had lost their focus and their examination of the Word of God. And other books started to supplement a little bit more. In the church ages, this is, for example, when uh, uh, you see a lot of things that started to happen with the Catholic Church. People started praying to Mary, started praying to saints. If you're looking back at that church age map, a lot of this started to happen in that time period where a lot of these doctrines, which are false doctrines, celibacy of priest, all that kind of stuff. I, I'm a shepherd and I'm married. And, and God likes marriage. So I don't have to worry about this. But a lot of these things started to come. For example, in that age, and again, uh, that's more of a hindsight thing. But all that is called adding to Scripture. If you get to the end of the book of Revelation, God's warned, do not add to my word at all. Don't add anything. If true doctrine is mis mixed with false doctrine, guess what? Everything is compromised. Right, right. Well, this gallon of milk is 99.9% good, but I just took a drop out of the toilet and put it in it, so most of it's good. <laughs> You're probably not going to want to drink it. I put this uh, up on the screen. Guys, don't focus on the car. I had to find one where the wheels would match size here. But if I had three tires on here, a real, and I just put one paper mache tire on this, just one, how's the drive going to go? I mean, the other three are real. What could go wrong? Compromise. Jesus hates compromise. Did you know God doesn't compromise at all? That's why when our country is trying to change everything about what the Bible says, they will lose in the end. Because God doesn't compromise. And he tells us, no, do not compromise the truth. Next church, Thyatira. The corrupt church. Pick it up verse 18, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these things says the Son of God. Thyatira, he gets really, oh boy, uh, quite a blistering Said a word here from Jesus. These things says the Son of God who has eyes of flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, your service, your faith, your patience. Kind of a really loving church, actually. Um, that your works, the last, are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to teach and seduce my servants. The name Jezebel is never a compliment in the Bible, ever. Uh, if you're called a Jezebel, it's never a compliment. To commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. And she did not. But God, you might be here today and God's already given you time to repent. Be careful. The time has a stopwatch on it. If you're listening online. He said, I gave you time, but so far you've ignored it. And the stopwatch will hit zero. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. Here's a, here's a passage I bet you 99% of people, probably even, I, I don't know what, a high percentage of church, but definitely unsaved people, would never know that Jesus says what I'm about to read. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he that searches the minds and hearts. Wow. What is Jesus saying about it? He's saying that he is the righteous judge, and 
everything is under him, all we like sheep have gone astray. All of our righteousness is filthy rags. He's like, but I give time to repent. But if there's not a repentance, there is serious judgment. The lake of fire is very serious, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He goes on uh, to say again that uh, if you hold fast and overcome, then I'll give you the power over the nation. So even though this church was in a really bad place, the stopwatch is almost near zero. Okay. If they don't repent, it's going to hit zero. And God has absolutely caused some churches to cease to exist, hasn't he? Many of you that are older than me probably remember vibrant ministries that are now gone. How sad will we see what's going on with Ravi Zacharias, that ministry. It's going to be nothing now. Why? Sexual immorality. Same thing warned here. That ministry will be a zero. It's sad because it should have flourished for a long, long time but it didn't. So Thyatira, commended for their ongoing works of love and service and acts of faith and even patience. But they were simultaneously very comfortable. They had become comfortable with idolatry, sexual immorality, false teaching. They were helpful people, but immoral. You'll meet people like this. They're helpful, but immoral. They'll mow your grass for you, but th- th- what comes out of their mouth and in their life, like, whoa. Right, right. Helpful, but immoral. They viewed the long-suffering of God as a license to continue in sin. They looked at the long-suffering as a license. It's not a license. It's, it's the patience of God. Compromise eventually leads to total corruption and the justification of blatant sin. So eventually, if you're a compromising church like the previous church, you eventually become Thyatira, where you just full-out endorse blatant sin. And you endorse the approval of sexual immorality. And the endorsal of it, by the way, has been always, or not always, but many times linked to false teaching in the history of the world. And, and, and certainly in the false aspects of the church down through the ages. And we see it today. Churches that are compromised in their theology and their doctrine, or begin to comp- or they began to compromise 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, those churches that begin to compromise and get away from the Word of God and not teach what it says and say, well, that might offend somebody, today they fully approve sexual sin. Any marriage goes, any union, they fully approve. One of of the Thyatiras of our day is this progressive Christianity movement, which is no more Christian than atheism. Progressive Christianity is no different than atheism. It's just making your own God. No hell, no judgment to come, no preaching about sin. Uh, they would even call abortion a compassionate thing. I don't know how you come up with that. I understand where they come up. But again, God doesn't look at it that way. Your identity is anything you choose. Marriage is any combination of any human beings that you want. That's progressive Christianity today, and it's not Christianity at all. And by the way, Satan 100% agrees with that movement. His stamp of approval is on it, totally agrees with it, totally endorses it. A.W. Tozer said this, he said, not wanting to appear judgmental, we mistakenly try and make biblical truth fit the culture around us. You're not going to be able to make it fit the culture. 
you present Christ, you present him crucified, you present the gospel, you present the resurrection of Jesus, you present that he died for sins, and you let God do the rest. Amen? Amen. The Bible, as Spurgeon said, is like a lion. You just let it out of its cage, it'll take care of itself. This never works, by the way, trying to make the world like the Bible by removing parts of it. Never works. God forbids it. And he demands, Jesus is demanding a pure bride. He will not take a harlot to heaven. Amen. He demands a pure bride. Do you agree with that? Yes. It's, it's not negotiable. You can't negotiate with God and say, would you be okay with this kind of sin? Read the end of Revelation. He says, no abomination, no lie comes into the kingdom. None. So we have to be a pure bride. Last church that we'll look at this morning. And it's a popular one. The Sardis Church. Sardis Church. Chapter 3, again, verse 1, and to the angel, the church of Sardis, a lot of people, a lot of scholars believe the angel is speaking to the pastor. Or it could be that God has assigned an angel, just like each of you have an angel assigned to you, whether you know it or not. Uh, we see it in the book of Acts that an angel may be assigned to each church, uh, but it could also be to the pastor or shepherd of the church. There's debate. It's okay. Either would be fine. Uh, the angel of the church of Sardis write these things says who, we read this already, but let's see it again, the seven spirits of God and has the seven stars. I know your works and that you have an aim and that you're alive but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore if you will not watch I will come upon you as a thief. Some you believe this may be a reference to like the rapture coming, and I will, and you will not know what hour I come upon you. You won't be ready for the rapture. Uh, the, the wise and foolish virgins, for example, you have a few names in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So again, there is a remnant here that's quite ready for Jesus. He who overcomes will be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I'll confess his name before my Father before his angels, he who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Sardis, the dead church, number five, we'll look at the, uh, the last two, Philadelphia and Laodicea next week. But uh, Sardis commended uh, for their remnant. The original foundation was pure. We can kind of see that, hey, you got a few that are, there's an original foundation that was solid. This church had become famous there in the first century. They had a highly respected name in the community. And among other churches, very likely, they were looked up to by other churches. But guess what Jesus said? Where it says, but you are dead, the literal Greek means you are a corpse. That's what Jesus said. Wow. Jesus saw a dead corpse. They had a great reputation but it was empty works and self-glorifying. Self-glorifying. The glory was going to them. Here's a church that in our day might just be busting at the scenes pre-pandemic. I've got to say pre-pandemic a lot of things. A lot of things have changed now. But here's a church that was busting at the seams pre-pandemic. They had, if Sardis was our time period, Sardis, they had the most amazing emotion-stirring worship of anybody. 
Sardis had it. They were on your playlist. They had a well-known name. They had maybe a logo or an icon that everyone knew on the back of cars or anything. You just knew the name. Oh, that's Sardis. Super cool. Very recognizable. They had an incredible list of activities and ministries and groups, both campus, online, the app, you name it, they had it. I mean, just, I'm just kind of contemporizing Sardis in our time. Their Instagram account would be awesome. <laughs> Lots of scriptures, many devotions. They'll read your Bible for you with Instagram. They have that much. They're hitting your social feeds constantly with inspirational words. Truth, wisdom, the graphics, of course, are amazing. Top-notch. Everything is polished. Everything's professional. Sometimes their campus looks like a Fortune 500 company. Lots of talent. The church, it may be denominational, it may be non-denominational, it may be reformed, may not be reformed. And in a church like Sardis, you actually have a lot of people wanting to serve and help. They actually have a lot of volunteers. They have lots of teams. People feeling like they're making a difference. They're part of something big. The name is well known. Yeah, that's my church. You know, we're, we're awesome. Do you not know that? Some Sardis-minded churches might have a celebrity pastor. Jesus and the scriptures are taught, but only a certain number of scriptures. The scriptures are taught. The pastor often has preeminence, either unwittingly or totally on purpose. Rather than growth through prayer and the work of the Holy Spirit and just being disciples and humbly seeking God, the Sardis church their growth is based on activity, charisma, reputation, a formula, effort, process, marketing, machinery. And you can build quite a ministry that, again, will have lots of verses, awesome worship, awesome everything. And Jesus says, but you're dead. Everything in a church like Sardis becomes more and more about the church, and what motivates people is different than what convicts people. Did you hear me on this? What motivates people is not the same as what convicts people. Jesus is not into motivating you. He's into talking to you, convicting you, cleansing you, correcting you, comforting you, not motivating just per se. There is motivating things, but you get the point. Rather than Christ glorified, it was about the church. Rather than Christ being increased and us decreasing, taking up the cross, living out his commands, no, it was about their reputation. Sardis would have had no understanding and maybe not even a care as to why Smyrna was being persecuted. Did you hear me on this? Sardis may not have even understood why Smyrna was being persecuted. And they might have even thought, it's probably bad leadership over there at Smyrna. <laughs> bad leadership, not good communicators. They'd work on their Instagram account, they wouldn't be persecuted like this. After all, Sardis had nobody trying to persecute them. 
Nobody was defaming them. They had a name that was alive. Nobody was bothering Sardis. Pastor David Guzik said this, he said, it wasn't that the church at Sardis was losing the battle. A dead body has lost the battle. Being dead, the church at Sardis presented no significant threat to Satan's domain, therefore it was not worth attacking. Some of the churches in this world, Satan does not bother at all. They use verses, they preach some portion of the gospel, they're not teaching anything false, they just won't teach the whole counsel of God. Did you hear me? They're not teaching false things, they just won't teach all things. They won't teach the whole counsel of God. So they, they have about a third of the Bible that they'll cover. They'll cover it again and again and again, and everything is as long as you're fired up and you're wound up and you're worshiping. And But that's not what Jesus wanted from Sardis. Right, right. Sardis has a problem, a major problem. They're dead as a doornail, mm-hmm. and yet they're busting at the seams. Smyrna, on the other hand, no money, literally being persecuted for 10 years, and Jesus said they're rich. What a contrast. We'll see one more contrast next week with Philadelphia versus Laodicea. Sardis thought their success and favored reputation was God's blessing. Did you hear me? Sardis thought their success and favored reputation was God's blessing, but it was actually an indictment of their self-glory in which Satan was fine with them. So he didn't bother them. The big problem with Sardis It wasn't Christ at the center, but it was Christianity at the center. This has been on my mind a lot lately. And I I don't want me to ever have Christianity at the center. I want Jesus at the center. And I don't want you online or those who are here. You don't want Christianity. You don't want church life at the center. This church is important. The ministries are important. But Jesus is the center. It can't be Christianity at the center. That becomes machinery after a while. And you don't even know when it happens. It can happen in your home life. It can just become Jesus is no longer the center. We just do Christian things. And that's where legalism in the 70s and 80s was a big problem. It got to be Christian things instead of Christ. Because Christ always keeps us soft and humble. And our worship, it doesn't need... You can actually worship God without all the trapping. I'm not against good worship and emotional stir. I like a lot of it. They're on my playlist too. But... That's not what I need or you need. The Holy Spirit doesn't need that stuff to minister to you. And so we can't eat cotton candy nonstop. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's been on my heart a lot. There's a huge difference between Christ at the center of your life versus Christian things at the center of your life. Jesus will drive everything out. His light will expose all the dark corners of our life. Yet in all this, in Sardis, there's still a remnant, isn't there? There's still a group that's looking at the rest of the group and saying, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? And I know that that's true in churches all over this country and around the world, that there's a remnant that says, we've gotten away from Jesus at the center. We've got to come to a close here. But what about you and me? Does Jesus see himself at the center of your life? And this church? I can't answer that question for you. I can definitely talk, Lord, about myself. Lord, where are, are you at the center or is it Christian things? I can tell you it's not Christian things. I would gladly, don't take this the wrong way, I would gladly not pastor and just go serve the Lord in a million other ways 
it's hard on me. <laughs> and matter of fact, the more I open the Word of God, it's too much for me. It's too sacred. It's too holy for me. And so it doesn't feel even good a lot of times to preach His Word. It's that powerful. I'm going to have the worship team come up. I did think this a lot the last couple of days. Lord, your word's too holy for me. It's... This is a perfect book. And so and you get imperfect people like me who have to represent it. And so you're never going to be perfect, neither will I. But Jesus will purify you. Amen? Amen? That's what he wants to do. And again, I don't want us to ever you know, rely on machinery. We rely on the Holy Spirit. That Jesus will soften us and show us, no, no, no. You don't have to impress with all this other stuff. Just present me. And that may mean acting like Smyrna some. You might, well, we're not that, we don't have that much. You see the outside of the building? You know? So, and again, not to say that those other things, I got saved at a church that was, in Calvary Fort Lauderdale has everything. You know? But sometimes machinery and all that stuff. All of a sudden, Jesus gets pushed to the side, doesn't he? So, again, um, have the Lord search you. Have the Lord search you. Let's just take a moment and pray, and then we'll, um, we'll close in worship. But I want to just, before we do, I want, I want to say something to those of you online. Uh, this message was to the church, five churches, Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I got saved on a message to the church. Revelation 3. I wasn't in the church. I was unsaved and God reached me through that message. But maybe you're here and this message is to people that are in the church. But you're saying, wow, I, I didn't know that Jesus will someday judge everything in righteousness. He will. Not just the Jezebels that he mentioned there. Everyone he's going to judge. And you're not ready for that day. If, the, if you were to get the coronavirus and die or get hit by a car, you're not ready. And if you know you're not ready, don't put it off. Amen? Amen. Amen. Don't wait. Oh, give it another year. How do you know you have another year? How do you know you have another week? I don't think that, you know, some of the people that, you know, I, last week, I mean, Tiger Woods did die. But I know he didn't have any thought the day before he was Instagram with Dwayne Wade that the next day he would be this close to dying. Right? You don't know what a day holds. So I just want to speak to those and then we'll, I want to speak to the body of Christ. But let's just bow our heads for a moment. If, you're, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, say, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to have eternal life. I want to turn from my sins and I want to be cleansed and I want to be purified. 
If you're in this room, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If that's you this morning, if there's anyone, I, I don't want to take for granted that everyone here is a believer. You may or may not be. Anyone at all, just raise your hand. Say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe you're on a line. I can't see you, but if you're raising your hand, I just want to pray. And if you're ready to give your heart to Christ, say, in your own words, it's not a sinner's prayer. A sinner's prayer won't save you. It has to be believing with your mouth, but also the heart has to confessing with the mouth and believe with your heart, but just pray in your own words, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for living a sinless life. Thank you for dying on a cross. Thank you for shedding your blood for me. Thank you for your resurrection, conquering sin, death, hell, Satan, all in one fell swoop. Thank you, Lord, for conquering my sins. And Lord, I'm sorry for all of my sins. Lord, I can't even remember them all. There's too many. But Lord, I ask that you cleanse me by your blood. Wash me, purify me, fill me afresh and anew with the Holy Spirit, the promise, the seal of salvation. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life, for I've decided this day to follow you, Jesus. No turning back. For the rest of us, and I, get, I did that in 1995, and I've never turned back. I've skinned my knees a lot, but I haven't turned back. And now I haven't turned back because the Holy Spirit won't let me turn back. Isn't that great to know? But the rest of you, if you say, I want Jesus more at the center than he is right now, raise your hand. Yeah, I do too. I want that, what G.K. Chesterton says, I want that fearlessness, that absurdly happy I don't want the constant trouble, but I'm going to get it. <laughs> and so are you. Just stand as we close in worship.